The following is a presentation from the Recycling Council of Alberta's 2021 webinar series. On April 20th, experts gathered to discuss how Alberta's planned extended producer responsibility policy will impact service providers. The RCA would like to thank our supporters for making this webinar possible, including Platinum Sponsor, the Alberta Beverage Container Recycling Corporation. In this segment, the RCA's Executive Director, Christina Seidel, leads the second half of a discussion with service providers who collect and manage products and packaging for waste management and recycling. The podcast discusses EPR implementation and the question of inclusion of certain types of packaging, such as single-use plastics, requirements for recycled content, and targets. Panelists include Al Matero from Cascades, Tony Mokachen from Merlin Plastics, and Peter Hargreave with Policy Integrity, Inc. I'm just going to go on a little bit of a tangent based on a question, actually the first question we got, which I think is is an interesting question. It's directly for you, Tony, because of your experience in terms of having to process all the plastics out of the BC system. So are there single-use plastics that you have identified that basically just are not recyclable? Um, or even, I guess it could even be plastics in general, but he has specifically asked about single use. Which of these materials do you feel based on your experience of having to deal with them? Are there some of these that just should be banned? So there are some plastics that are more difficult to recycle than others. I mean, it's not the plastics itself, but it's a, it's a composition. So when you multi-lamination, multi-laminate product, I mean, depends on what is it laminated with is problematic for being able to return it. Uh, but I believe uh, any use is better than, than no use. So I believe if you can, if you can, if you can recycle it mechanically, recycling it chemi chemically, there's another option that I'm wide open for. If you can, uh, any, any, anything that takes, that, that displaces non-renewable resource, if you can turn it into a fuel that displaces a non-renewable resource, it's better to me than burying it into the ground. Uh, it doesn't matter if you turn it into a liquid or a solid or, or a gas phase, but anything that can displace non-renewable resource to me is, is a positive. It's not as positive as recycling. I'm a recycler at the core, and to me, the number one thing is, 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 is recycling. Now, this question you've asked is, is banning the answer? To me, I am against banning, personally. I am for, 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 for I mean, this Two things that works carrot or stick you can use the stick or you can use the carrot you use the carrot i mean make sure that products that are not designed for recycling have an uh, a disruptive fee of some sort that basically encourage the brand owner to redesign his package and make it recyclable there are answers there are you know all those products can be can be redesigned it's just that if it costs them more money to redesign it versus using it as a non-recyclable, there are solutions for all of this in my mind. But it has to make it has to be driven by economic. Economics has to drive it. Right. Okay. No, that's great. So, Peter, can you maybe you can just give us a a comment on how you see the single-use item conversation rolling out in Ontario? Sorry, um, Christina, the inclusion of single-use uh, items in, into the... Uh... Yes, yes, sorry, sorry. I, I didn't mean it to be as broad as what I said. Yes, yeah, so, so how they could be incorporated into the EPR system. 
you know, so we've got, I guess you could say we've got a, we've got some single use um, uh, materials already included in the program. So we, Ontario, a lot of municipal programs already include a lot of uh, take back or, or sorry, not take back, um, take quick serve uh, cups and uh, uh, um, containers um, that would be used. So there's a lot of that material that's already included. Uh, the government, I guess, is considering to add utensils and straws, um, which uh, I think uh, uh, nobody is looking forward to how you create systems to either capture those things well uh, or or actually properly recycle them. Um, but, you know, I think the goal is, you know, put the targets in place and force um, the producers and the systems, and, and when I say producers, it's really going to come down to the collectors and the recyclers to figure out what are the best ways to collect and what are the best ways to process these materials. The more specific the government gets on targets, the more incentive there is to either fix the product itself or fix the system, the collection and the processing system to separate those materials out so they can become inputs into, into the manufacturing system. Great, thanks. Similar, well, slightly different, but but looking at again a different part of the value chain. I just wonder, uh, Tony and Al, if you can comment on how how do we through our system try to drive more demand for post consumer recycling um, through through standards like PCR standards. Um, I realize it's not, and I'm just curious the role that the service providers play in that. Tony, you want to start? I mean, in uh, in paper, uh, 30 years ago, there was uh, a dead market for newspaper. And when California came in and put a law for paper, we need, uh, if you want to sell your newspaper in California, you have to have 30% post-consumer content. So the recycling of newspaper went great. I mean, became very active. And the market for newspapers start growing. Uh, same thing, you know, I mean, if you have a demand, if you have a post-consumer content demand, uh, uh, it will drive, it will drive, uh, it will drive, uh, a post-consumer demand will drive the demand for post-consumers. That's, 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 that's clear. The questions that we're facing in California, and I see uh, uh, people in extended producer responsibility making, making, uh, making a comment about it is, how do you enforce it? How do you enforce that actually there is 10% PCR content? How do you enforce all this? I mean, it's great to have rules, but but I mean, how do you how do you enforce it? So uh, post-consumer content is definitely going to drive the demand, but also it will also drive the design because if if you don't design your product right, you can't have a you you won't be able to reuse it. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, the base is a design. The second base is the infra- is, uh, is collection and then infrastructure to recapture it. And third one is uh, having a post-consumer content. And then this is how you achieve circularity. It all okay. comes down, come down to this. Uh, so I believe a post-consumer content is one way of achieving this goal. The challenge there is how do you how do you make sure that how do you, how do you police it? Okay. And so really the role of the service provider is being able to uh, provide that material and a quality sufficient to be able to actually meet the demand, correct? Yes. This will drive the demand. Post-consumer content will drive the demand. Okay. 
Okay. No, that's great. Al, what can you comment on PCR? You, know, you look at, at, the, at what you're asking is, again, we're, we're trying to burden the supply chain with the problem. And they didn't make it to start with. And, and so, you know, basically what the supply chain is doing is we can collect anything. We, we know that. We can process anything. We can sort everything. It's going to cost money. Somebody's got to pay for it. But, I, you know, if you, if you leave it at that, we've collected it, we've processed it, we've, we've put it into a market-ready form, if that's what it is, or its own form. Um, if there's no market for it, whose responsibility is that? It's not the responsibility of the supply chain. There's a responsibility either by the producer. You'd hope the, the agency or the entity that's managing all of this on behalf of the producer is going to figure out and invest monies possibly on behalf of their producers to do something with, with whatever was collected and sits in a warehouse someplace with no, no, no end of life uh, solution that either some, something's going to happen or you go back to whoever made it and said, here, you know, do whatever you want with it, but mm -hmm. it, there's nothing we can do with it. Um, so I, I think, you know, my earlier comments today were, you know, the, the burden of responsibility is, you know, onto the, the producer here now. It's not on a system. You know, we had a commodity-based system before. That's how this whole thing operated. And we collected the widgets because we could sell them. And if we couldn't sell them, we didn't have to collect them. We just throw them in the garbage. Well, that's changing. So the rules are changing. Therefore, now the outcomes have to change as well. So that the responsibility, as I said, relies then on, did you make it? Then it's your responsibility. It's not, I, what do you want from me? I'm, I'm a processor. I, I, I bailed your material. There it is. It's exactly how you wanted it. Cost you $3,000 a ton, but so be it. But, but there it is. Now what do you want to do with it? And so I think that's a question that has to be at the forefront of, of, of the system operators not at the forefront of the service providers. No, I, I would go further. I would say this is that uh, that uh, you know this is where I believe uh, an EPR organization have, uh, you know can play a very positive role by making sure that their brand owner understands that uh, that that the package that uh, they will be providing to you know to this com to a community A, B, or C has an end market and it's designed accordingly. It's designed so it can be recapture and recycled or chemically or mechanically or so and and this is a great role that 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 an, an EPR organization can play because it's a bridge between what the community goal is which is not having packaging in our natural environment and the goal of a brand owner so i mean it can communicate this message it can say look okay you know you want your your, your you want us to collect your your product you want us to design a system to collect this uh, great but is your product recyclable is your product compatible with uh, infrastructure and if it's not uh, how do you expect us to do this work i mean this is a to me it's a communication that should be handled at at an epr level right so, no. so if i can add a couple of things to that Christine. yes please um, peter um so, so there's a couple of things that I think, you know, can help on this side with, with regards to post-consumer uh, content and, and pushing that side. One is, you know, I would argue, I think BC has taken the wrong approach on their targets because they really focused on collection, um, mm -hmm. not on actually inputs into the manufacturing side. So to me, if the target is set on what is actually being recycled and going into new products, that forces a requirement then to make sure materials are captured cleaner or that they're sorted more rigorously 
And so the end products that you have at, at uh, that are going out are actually cleaner and they're going to, they're more attractive uh, to different, uh, to different industries. You know, your economy of scale to some extent can a- impact that if there's more feedstock that's available, there's probably more willingness for manufacturers to look at that as, as a, a valid option uh, uh, to use within their products. The targets as to their specificity also helps on that side. If you've got a broad plastics target, the, the low-hanging fruit is going to get sawed. So PET and HDP are going to continue to be recycled at, at high levels. And you're going to forget about that those plastics that are more difficult to, uh, difficult to ma- um, uh, manage. The other other point I just wanted to mention on post-consumer content is I think what we're starting to see on post-consumer content, at least we've seen in Ontario, is we're seeing governments start to put in incentives uh, towards uh, companies that use post-consumer content. So it allows them to potentially reduce some of their targets. And I'd suggest to you, while I 100% think that's a a very – good thing to do, it's a very bad policy decision. Because as Tony mentions, it's very, very difficult um, to track post-consumer content in in products. And if you're going to do it, to me, you do it at the national level um, and you push those content requirements in a way that can be managed through that means, not small province by small province. Two, so it's very difficult to be able to in any way type of of enforce and oversee that. Secondly, the the, the other uh, big issue is if you're creating some kind of incentive, it means potentially then there's an incentive then to collect less material. Um, And that's not really what you're trying to do through these policies. You're trying to capture more materials. And so I think there's a, a, I would say a very big warning is don't overcomplicate EPR policies. It makes it more difficult to enforce. It makes it diff- more difficult uh, t- to measure your actual results that you're getting from it. And I think it's a dangerous path when I look at where Ontario is going, which is added recycled content uh, provisions and uh, mm-hmm. uh, and some uh, uh, warranty pieces into waste electronics and batteries and tires. Okay. No, thanks, Peter. That's really helpful. Trying to be all things to all people is not ne- not going to be successful. That. Great comments. We really appreciate those. I wonder if we can stick with you for a second because a question has come up. Um, I'm, I'm sure this is from a municipality. The whole issue again of contracts between municipalities and service providers. But what then ultimately is the role that the municipality can p- continues to play going forward, as opposed to the role that the producers play? Um, there, are, I think there's just a bit of a lack of understanding still in how that works. And I know it's different sometimes in different communities, but Peter, I know you understand this really well. So can you speak to this? Yeah, so, you know, I think every municipality is gonna have a potentially different way to think about this. So some municipalities are gonna look at it and say, I wanna keep that relationship with the consumer. Uh, there's value for me to contract out my services in a, in a, a bundled fashion. So I want to I want to tender out my recycling and my, um, my waste collection at the same time. Um, um, so there is some reasons that municipalities might want to stay in the game. Um, but we're seeing in Ontario, a lot of municipalities say, you know what, if somebody else can do this, 
let them do it. And I think more municipalities in Ontario are looking to move away from um, having anything to do with the recycling system. Uh, they will leave that to the producers to do, uh, and they will let them uh, take care of that. I think the lesson I think we've seen in, in British Columbia is once municipalities were comfortable with the way that producers were running the system, uh, they're moving more away from the system rather than actually um, uh, delivering the service uh, themselves. Tony, I wonder if you can, because you saw this rollout in BC, can you comment on how this transpired in BC? I mean, every municipality, as Peter mentioned, look at it and make their own decision. I mean, that's what, what, what I have seen. I mean, they, I don't know if there is, I'm not very much involved in, I don't, we don't provide municipal pickup and right. services. So I'm not really involved in this. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how the collection works and what, to where municipality are involved or not. Uh, yeah. So, uh, no, that's fair. Uh, that's fair. I think Al has, has something he wants to jump in with. Yeah, I think when you're looking at contracts, contracts for collection are quite different than contracts for post-collection, or at least the, the, the space that they're in is different. Collection, you know, it's it's a collector of municipalities in, in BC tended to control that even after once um, uh, EPR was implemented. On, on the post-collection side, uh, because there's individual assets or, or large assets and few players that are involved in it, it's more of a fixed and more more sensitive situation to, to, to address. Um, so th th those those two factors should be kept at the forefront as well. Um, not to say that you can't move forward uh, by just having the municipality continue. And then as we saw in British Columbia, once confidence was there and they realized the cost savings and they, they all backed out or, or weren't very concerned about maintaining their, their, their control. Um, so it's a lot of human nature involved in it too. It's just because you've done it for so long, you don't want to release it or let it go. Um, but I, I think time has proven that that EPR can successfully manage um, both. Okay, so I just, I want to go to a question now that I think is so interesting and, and I want to hear your perspectives on this around. So especially when we're talking about outcomes-based systems that I think everybody seems to be supporting on this call. Um, but to do that, we need to establish these targets. So when we establish targets, how do we do it in a way that we actually set up you, the service provider, to be successful so that we don't inadvertently set you up to fail? Um, so if, if you can comment on that whole approach of making sure that we're actually helping the service providers, um, and because they are key to making the system work. So how do we set them up for success? Um, can you start with that, Al? I, I would question the targets themselves because they don't really have an impact on, on the operations or, the, or, 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 the, or the, the service providers in the sense that as long as they know what the target is, then they'll design accordingly to, to achieve it. So keeping in mind that once materials are collected, they go through a facility, those materials have to be recovered at a certain percentage. So the target set for a facility to recover the materials it receives are a little bit different than the targets that are set for EPR and what they should be responsible for collecting and getting into, into the system. So there's two targets we need to look at. So the targets in the recovery operation, then those are those are critical because you can't expect to recover 100% of everything. So we need to set targets accordingly 
for what is desired. On, on the front end, it's interesting on the target side, and that is sure the system, an EPR system, have a target, an overall target, a weight-based target for you know 75% of all packet printed and paper packaging, or should it be 75% of every type of packaging that is collected? And so it is it, a big difference there. And I think that's something that I, you know, you need to address because you know it's 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 unfortunate, and I still can't understand why the rates for plastic recovery are going to be less than fiber, for example. You know, just mm -hmm. because fiber is a good beast and you know, great, we can collect it. it. It's got good homes. You're at you know 75, 80 percent recovery rates, if not 90s. Then what, why would you expect to only collect 40 percent or 30 percent of a plastic or another material? Why aren't they all at one fixed recovery rate? And yep, some people, some of them have to work a little harder than others to get there, but that's just the nature of this whole exercise, I would imagine, is to encourage that to happen and to have, you know, a, a, a better recovery rate of good materials or the right materials in the system. Right. So, so you would be concerned then about if we, if we set targets too low for materials that right now are more difficult to, to, to actually recycle that we're setting the system up for failure that, that everybody should have high targets? Well, well, because, yeah, because then it's all on the heavy materials that are carrying the load, because then we're going to say, well, you know, we put a, you know, 10,000 tons of material in the marketplace and collected 7,500 tons of material, of which 80% of them were three, three types of material and the balance all made the rest of it. Um, so, yeah, you know, and then when you're looking at, at systems as well, you got units. So, you know, on a sort line, you're taking units off the line. Well, to, to, to make a ton of, of film plastic bags versus a ton of, of, of corrugated boxes, there's a tremendous difference in the number of units. But the activity would be, you know, is, is pulling off one unit at a time. So, again, it, it's time to rethink how we look at this and, and, okay. and, and break it down. No, I appreciate that. Tony, how do we set up the service providers for success? I think the first thing is you have to give them achievable target service provider, or I mean, even if you have your own within your own organization, if you give anyone within your own team a target that is not achievable, you're not going to set him up for success. So you, you want to challenge him, but you don't want to give him a target that is not, not achievable. So giving it an achievable target as a, as a father, I have to give an achievable target for my son. <laughs> I can't give him an unachievable. He won't stop working towards it. So I want to encourage him to keep moving forward. So you have to set up an achievable target. And I think, uh, you know, looking at the program of EPR and how this all came to be in, in British Columbia, I think I think uh, Recycle BC did a very good job when they looked at the basket of good to start with. And they said, what, what should go there so the recycler can actually, or, or the processor can then, handle it successfully, reasonably successfully. And, and and you have to look at this basket of good. What should go into this basket of good? What, what should go into this blue box in terms of packaging? And what should not go into it? Should glass go into it or not? Should should film flexible packaging go into it or not? Should styrene go into it? Foam styrene go into it or not? So, and, and why not? So you, you really have to this is where, 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 where success starts. You have to provide your service provider or any, anybody that works for you an achievable target. Right. And, no, and you, 
you 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 do you do that by making sure that you know the vehicles that you're using what's allowable in this can be processed successfully downstream because at the end of the day this is what's going to be the battle is won right it's not run run at the curb i mean if if if, if people put the wrong product yeah. in, the, in the blue box you know you're going to go nowhere right yeah no it's great Peter, if you can just give us your take on how we set service providers up for success. So, um, you know, I know I know Tony doesn't mean this, but, you know, generally when I hear the word achievable target, it, it generally signals to me low target um, and it signals to me status quo. And, and I think, you know, if the government's looking to sort of set the system up for success, that shouldn't be the bar they're looking to achieve. Um, so... You know, I'm probably a mix between Tony and Al, which is, you know, high targets are going to be what drives absolutely everything. Uh, they, they, you need to have high targets set uh, to be able to drive new systems in the marketplace and force people to figure out different ways to do things because the status quo right now isn't working. Um, and so that's, that's absolutely huge. I do understand, though, you can't go from uh, a 20% flexible packaging um, rate uh, to 90% of where, let's say, uh, paper is today overnight. So you do need to have a stepped way uh, to get the different materials up to those those targets because you got to have, there needs to be investment in the collection systems, in the processing systems to get yourself there. Um, So it, it needs to be high targets that are progressively set uh, right. So the producers know over a period of time, I got to get here anyway. So I need to start making the investments now. And that's yeah. going to allow that progressive target setting rate that allows companies like, like, uh, like uh, Merlin or Cascades to then make the investments they need to, uh, uh, to be successful moving forward. No, that's great. So reasonable targets that are progressive. So they ultimately become yeah. high targets. I, mean, we'll, I get it. We are saying the same thing. I mean, you got to, yeah. to to look at the base, and then you have to increase it, you know, yeah. reasonably. I mean, it's, you got to to start somewhere, but you can't. If the base is here, you can't start in the moon. Right. Of course. Okay. Oh, this has been so fantastic, you guys. Um, we're we're coming to the end of our time now, so I wonder. I'm just going to come back to each of you. Can you just give us a closing statement in terms of the the, the message you'd like to leave with Alberta? to make sure that service providers are are enabled as part of the system and that, that really they, because they're such a key part of the system. If you can just leave us your closing messages, that would be fantastic. Can we start with you, Tony? I mean, I would say to the service provider, do the best job you can and, and focus on your job. There is room for everybody. I mean, there is a reason why Toyota don't make tires. <laughs> So, you know, just be the best you can be in whatever service you're providing and, and focus on this job and, and carry on. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's EPR or if it's municipalities, a program. People, our community requires this package not to go to the, to the natural environment. And, and, this, and, and, the, and the guy that does a good job is going to do the job anyway. Great. Fantastic. Thanks, Tony. Al, you want to leave us with some closing thoughts? Yeah, you kind of like there's a thousand things to look out for. But <laughs> no, seriously, but I think I think when when designing EPR, 
you know, we tend to put a lot of onus and responsibility on on the uh, the supply chain or the infrastructure that's doing the collection and the post collection. I think they're well advanced. I think that they're capable of doing, uh, uh, you know, up, well, you know, anything that's desired of, of, of the system. Uh, you need to understand what that is, though, and that's critical. So, if it's all materials, then it's all materials. If it's single screen, it's single screen. If it's two screen, it's two screen. If half is going to people, then half goes to people. We need a defined system in, uh, or a defined program. Um, and further to that, and I think something that needs to be looked at and, and really is the shortfall here, is the focus on downstream processing um, and encouraging the brand or the producers uh, through their agency or whatever to make investments in that arena. Because without downstream processing, you can collect all the materials, but if there's nowhere to process them at the end of the day, then, then we have challenges. Um, right. And, and, and to realize that at some point, this won't be a commodity-based market any longer, that it will turn to a cost-based. Because if I was a producer right now and I was paying to have my widgets collected and I'm making investment in downstream processing, I want to make sure I get my widgets back so I can put them through my downstream. I don't want to be competing for my own material after I paid for it. Um, so keep that in mind as well when, when, when you're looking at outcomes that, that need to be achieved. Right. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Al. Okay, Peter, closing words to you. Um, you know, I, I think there's lots of pitfalls and lots of opportunities. And, and so, you know, to me, uh, service providers should be making sure that they're working with their colleagues as much as possible. So they're learning from what's happening in other jurisdictions. I think there's lots of good lessons to be learned. And I think there's an importance for conversations to also be happening along the value chain. You know, for too often, I think service providers haven't had good conversations with producers um, and, and with municipalities. And I think all of those groups need to be working closely together and need to be talking so that they understand what each of them is asking for as part of this, uh, as part of this consultation. I think that'll lead to better policy if the, if the groups are talking to each other. Mm -hmm. um, and I know there's been lots of questions, Christina. Um, I, I know we probably haven't gotten to all of them. I'm certainly happy to talk to anybody if they've got additional follow-up questions uh, afterwards. Fantastic. Okay, well, this, as I knew it would be, this was so great, you guys. Thanks so much for joining us. What a fabulous conversation. I, I so look forward to seeing you guys in person again once this crazy pandemic is over. And I really appreciate the time that you spent with us. And to everybody on the line, remember next Monday we have a um, we have a, a Q and A session that we'll be we'll be leading to answer any more questions that you might have, and that's on Monday the twenty sixth at ten in the morning. Just let us know. You probably got a news flash on it. Just let us know if you want to attend, and we will put you on the list. Um, and thanks again to our sponsors for making this all possible. We we really appreciate your ongoing support. And thanks everybody. We're always happy to have conversations anytime. Um, and we're so excited about this moving forward. So let us know if you have any other follow-up questions and we can also connect you with any of the presenters. So thank you so much. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Al. Thank you, Peter. And um, we will see you all soon. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this 2021 webinar series. Search for On the Cusp, Alberta's Circular Podcast on iTunes and Google Podcasts for more from the RCA. 
or visit recycle.ab.ca to see the full presentations.